Hi everyone, I'm Luke Marzano and you're listening to the Church Relevance Podcast. This is a weekly discussion series with ministry leaders whose stories offer valuable advice and guidance. We engage in vital dialogue to encourage Christian leaders who might be battling burnout, navigating conflict, or struggling to find balance. Our mission is to ignite passion, create community, and inspire new ministry, one conversation at a time. Today we sit down with Dr. Andy Yarborough and we're going to dive into the world of self-care and what that looks like for you in the ministry. How's it going, Andy? It's going well. Glad to be here. We're excited to have you. We're going to dive right in and let the listeners get to know you a little better. Uh, so I have some basic questions, uh, but they could also be deep questions as well. So the first one, what's your title and role currently? I am, My wife and I own the Well Clinic. Uh, it's an interdisciplinary practice. Um, our mission is we, we guide people into hope, wellness, and life. And uh, I'm a clinical psychologist. How long have you been a clinical psychologist and running the Well Clinic? Man, how long have I been in the field of psychology? 15 years. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, we were, we, my wife and I started part-time in 2015, the Well Clinic, and went full-time in 2016. Before that, I was on staff at, a, at our local church. Um, I've been on several church staffs through the years, just depending on where we live. But I left psychology full-time for a little bit. And instead of being Dr. Yarbrough, I was just Pastor Andy which was an amazing experience. And, um, I learned a lot in that process. So, uh, kind of back from pastor Andy to psychology full-time. And we did that in 2016. We are in Prairieville, Louisiana, uh, just outside of Baton Rouge. Ooh, how's that heat right now? It's terrible, (laughs) man. It, it's the heat. And anybody listening to this who lives in the South understands that the humidity is what makes it terrible. I mean, heat's heat, but when you walk outside and you, it's like you're breathing in a wet blanket. <laughs> it's a, a, a warm, wet blanket. It's a, oh yeah, <laughs> not something to get used to. No, yeah, it's not. Yeah, you just I don't know if you ever get used to it. But it's it's great. We we love Baton Rouge. We we love the culture here. We we love good food. So it's a good place to be. To dive in a little more, what do you do? This is my favorite simple, deep question, but what do you do and what's your mission, even with the Well Clinic? So we are, um, I, when people ask me what I do, I tell people that um, we, we, guide, we guide people into hope, wellness, and life. And each of those things means something to us. Um, they're progression for us. Um, so the way that looks practically is, as a psychologist, we do counseling. Uh, we also do a lot of coaching and consultation. Um, we create a lot of resources and we're in the process of, uh, we're just, we're always in the process of creating resources for people. Um, I teach, uh, we, you know, we, we have, I'm, I'm on uh, staff is at our uh, local medical school here. I'm going to teach psychiatry residents. I work at, do some work at LSU. Uh, working with pre-doctoral interns there. And then we do a ton of work in, in our church. We work a lot with pastors and missionaries, um, guiding, guiding them into health. Um, so a lot of different strategies to accomplish our mission, but that's, that's kind of what we do. That's great. And and even with your background, that just provides you with so many tools for your tool belt, uh, to be able to handle things from so many angles. Yes. Yep. And with all that, uh, kind of let us know more about what brought you to where you are now, like uh, fr- from the beginning to how you found yourself uh, and even working with your wife and starting the Well Clinic. Yes. So uh, 
so I, I met my wife at Mississippi College. Um, I was a biology major for two and a half years. I wanted to go to med school. And I, I'm not, not proud of this. It's just part of my testimony. But um, I, I walked away from the Lord um, just because I didn't know what I really believed. And, and later I realized, you know, my dad's a pastor. A lot of the foundation that my, my parents laid was really been a, really helpful in coming back to the Lord. And a lot of that was just my dad's character, my mom and dad's character. Just They, they were always who they were. But I just struggled because I've all, analytical mind, always asking why. And I had a friend when I was 19 years old ask me to uh, go to um, India and play basketball and tell people about Jesus. And my, my first response was, you're an idiot. There's no way I'm going <laughs> to India. I'm from Bogachita, Mississippi, never been out of the country. Um, and the next thing I know, I'm on a plane headed to India to play basketball and tell people about a Jesus that I wasn't sure I really believed in. I didn't know what to do with him. I believed he existed. I just, just didn't know what to do with him. And through the suffering that we saw there, they, they on purpose, on purpose took us to the worst place. It's the first time I was um, exposed to the international sex trafficking industry, uh, to trafficking in general. I mean, I'm a 19 year old kid coming home and processing all that I saw. And what really stuck out was the way that the Christians live their lives. They're Indian believers. And it was just, I'd never quite seen anybody live. <clears throat> and I, man, it really, really impacted me. Like even now, I just, it's hard to kind of talk through sometimes, but to see the way that they lived in the midst of that suffering, I, I came back, <clears throat> sorry, we get choked up. Um, and I just was like, what does it mean to worship God? Even when we suffer, you know, I, um, it, it just, this, their lives amazed me. And that actually jump started my own personal faith journey again. And thanks to my parents, a lot of those things were ended up being rock solid foundational truths for me. But, um, but it started my question. I was like, if, if I'm going to do this school thing, I went through a depression when I got back, you know, almost failed out of school. If it weren't for our dean of men, they should have kicked me out of school, which I don't know if I should be telling you that. But it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, took me a, it, it, <laughs> it took me a while to kind of re, relive again in the United States. It just really impacted me. There was no debriefing, nothing that we know now is really helpful. But um, I came back and I was like, all right, what, what does it look like? So I changed my major to psychology and the rest is history. You know, I, I, I um, went to Regent University. It's an AP accredited uh, school, but um, they do a great job of integrating faith and science and science and service to the church. And, you know, you, you realize that suffering happens for a lot of different reasons and a, a a lot of reasons that we can't control, but it should never be self-inflicted. And, you know, after, after being in the church, working in the church, working with pastors, church leaders, missionaries, you realize that, that a lot of times they're just running themselves into the ground. Um, their health fails. And a lot of times they sabotage the mission that God's given them not because they don't love the Lord and love people, but because they don't know how to love themselves. 
take care of themselves, steward themselves. And so, um, as a psychologist, we just have started having conversations about prevention and holistic self-care and why it really is a first line defense against things like burnout. And even a lot of the experiences that I had coming back as a 19 year old uh, from India. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. For those listening, we're going to focus on burnout. Uh, Like I'm also a pastor's kid and we were a small farm town church. And I think being in a small church, you see people and sometimes you are the people wearing multiple hats, which inevitably leads to burnout. Uh, I don't know if you can speak to the same, but self-care and knowing how to care for yourself. Uh, like my dad, for example, he grew up not as a Christian. He got saved and then became a minister. Uh, so he didn't know self-care was something that was taught or discussed, or is it okay to be a Christian and experience burnout? Uh, so for a lot of people listening, they may be the first time they hear that this happens. Uh, so as we go further, how would you define what burnout is? Okay, so um, as as stress accumulates, um, and by the way, our, our bodies respond to positive and neg- negative stress in pretty much the same ways. Um, any, any helper, really anybody, but in, in this context, particularly people who are constantly helping other people run an increased risk of burnout because that stress is accumulating over time. Um, and a lot of people think about burnout as an event. It's really a process. It occurs over time and it occurs when cumulative stress um, has a, a longer term impact on us. And so when you're, when you're exposed to a lot of emotionally demanding situations, you don't have the support that you need. You mentioned like one person, multiple roles. Um, it is depleting every one of our natural resources, our physical health resources, our psychological, our relational, our spiritual resources. Um, and so ultimately the stress activates, activates, activates until we start to move into that process of burnout and that deactivates us. So when you think about burnout as it being a prolonged reaction to chronic stress, and again, when I say stress, it's not just negative, it's positive too just the stress of doing what we do, helping people, walking with people, all those things. There's three aspects to burnout. One's exhaustion. You start to feel physically exhausted, psychologically exhausted. It's hard to have relationships with people, even a spiritual tiredness. Um, The second thing is cynicism. You, You start to identify less and less with your vocation. You start to ask questions like, does this really matter? What are we really doing? When you were once full of a sense of purpose and mission, you start to feel like what you do doesn't matter. So exhaustion, cynicism. And the third is you start to feel like um, there's a reduced ability uh, to perform or do what you've been called to do. So a lot of times pastors will start to question the efficacy of their preaching. Counselors or pastoral counselors question a lot about their ability to walk with people. Um, by the way, one of the biggest things about stress, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but there's a misbelief oftentimes that people think that we're supposed to suffer for others. Only Christ suffered for us and overcame it. We are called to have compassion, which that word means to suffer with. We're called to suffer with people, not for them, so that we can take care of ourselves in that in the process and then rejoin them in their journeys. So we walk with them. We just don't we don't take on 
um, other people's suffering. We weren't built for that. And I think that's a lot of the things in ministry. We take on other people's suffering when we're actually just supposed to walk walk with them. So, um, But we, we start to lose that. So exhaustion, cynicism, and ultimately this feeling like I can't do this well anymore. What's the point? And so, you know, if you feel exhausted, you start to hate ministry and you start to feel less capable, like you just need to quit, you're showing signs of burnout, that deactivation process. Wow. Yeah. And with that, are there key moments or instances that you've observed when you're helping lead ministry leaders to acknowledge burnout? I think sometimes there's almost the, I'm feeling burned out because I'm working so well and doing so well at my job. Uh, but what are some of the key moments or instances that help the leaders acknowledge, yeah, I'm, I'm burned out? Man, that's a tough question because unfortunately, I think leaders tend to acknowledge it after they've crashed and burned. Um, and so a lot of the, because you said a really important word, it was acknowledge. A lot of times it's acknowledged when it's too late. And uh so a lot of the acknowledgement I'm, I'm hoping can start happening on the front end of this, um, where leaders become aware of what causes burnout, what contributes to it, what its symptoms are. So basically building an awareness of it to regulate it and prevent it. Um, and I think, I think it's as much about a mindset of health as it is preventing burnout. There's a, there's a principle. Let me say that again. I think it's important, uh, it's as much about a mindset of health as it is preventing burnout because there's a principle I got from a, a fellow named Bob Hamp. And I, I heard this when uh, he was still on staff at Gateway teaching in their freedom ministry is a principle. He said, what you seek first organizes the rest of your life. What you seek first organizes the rest of your life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. See, first, it's kind of being right in relationship with God. Everything else will be added. Um, it's about our primary focus. We don't ignore the other issues, but we, we have a, a focus, and that focus organizes everything else. That principle is true for every other area of life. If I am focused on preventing or intervening in burnout, burnout is still organizing my life. I'm not necessarily changing patterns that got me there. I'm just trying to get out of it. So it's still organizing me. But if we can seek health, and it, then we naturally prevent burnout. And, and I think in the, in the process, we start paying attention to what causes it. Like there's some, there's different causes, but like unreasonable time pressure to complete work and tasks, um, lack of communication and support in what we do. You mentioned that about like one person, multiple roles earlier with your dad, uh, my dad's small church, very similar experience. Um, uh, number three would like a lack of uh, role clarity. So there's a lot of stuff going on and you're not sure what you're responsible for. Unmanageable workloads, sometimes unfair treatment. Um, Dr. Mark Rutland says the reason that shepherds carry a staff is because sheep bite. <laughs> and it's like, like I, I, I remember as a kid being in the room where these people gave me a toy and then proceeded to chew my parents out. They let them have it right in front of me. And my dad handled it well. I don't remember him raising his voice or can I going back and forth with the, the people. 
but to, to, to get that on a regular basis, just sometimes that's unfair, you know. And then other things like chronic stress. When, when there's conflicts with like individual values and organizational goals and demands, um, just a lot of other c- causes that I think if we're focused on health and we're practicing self-care, we're able to be aware of these causes and do something with them before they actually start that process of burnout. Absolutely. And I think everyone listening, at least one, if not multiple things you've mentioned, we've experienced that at some point in our ministry. Yeah. If it's okay, let me just... Let me let me say a few things just to kind of jog yeah. the listeners' um, thought thinking about this. But so obviously, I mentioned those five: uh, unreasonable time pressures, lack of communication and support, lack of role clarity, unmanageable workload, unfair treatment. Um, but some others that may kind of get you thinking about this is again chronic high stress situations, conflict between your values and the goals and the demands or the values of the organization. Um, You know, sometimes pastors talk about Sabbath, but they're working 90, hundred hours a week. Um, Lack of managerial or social support, overload of responsibility, role confusion, a sense of having no control over the quality or the outcome of your work. Um, little emotional or financial reward. I know a lot of pastors who struggle financially and debt is, is rocking the world of a lot of pastors, um, of a lot of church leadership. Um, any inequity or lack of respect, low self-esteem, consistent exposure to traumatic material, which can happen in the ministry. So, I mean, I could keep going, but you, you get this idea that, man... Any, anybody who's been in the ministry for any period of time is like, uh, yeah, yeah, check. Yeah, yeah, check. Yeah. So I, hopefully it builds some awareness that, man, we want to focus on health and then work to prevent the reality of these. You can't stop these things from happening, but we can be aware of them and regulate them well within the context of health and self-care. And on that note, since we have you with us, I'd love to hear some of the methods that you've taught or if you'd be willing to walk us through some of the processes to help manage that. Yes. Yep. So we we teach people there's three very important things needed um, to foster health. Uh, framework. Uh, frameworks are knowing how to think because we believe knowing how to think is as important as what you think and what you do. How you think tends to just run in the background. And so we want to be sure that that's healthy, that we have healthy frameworks. Number two are skills. You got to have the right skills. Um, Everybody needs nunchuck skills, all the things that are super important in life. But uh, having a marriage between skill and framework tends to have the best outcome. You can know how to think, but if you don't know how to do it, it gets frustrating. If you know how to do it, but you don't think about it correctly, you're probably not going to keep doing it. And so um, integrating these things is really, really important. And then mission, having a, a sense of why, because if you don't have a sense of why you you want to foster self-care in your life, holistic self-care, you're not going to stick with it. Um I, I tried to work out for years and I'd work out and quit, work out and quit, work out and quit. And I realized that um, about three years ago, I ended up in the emergency department. They thought I was having a stroke. 
and a heart attack. And, uh, it was a terrible experience. I don't recommend it. Um, but I had, I believe this lie that I, I can never build strength. Um, I'm, I'm a small, small bone guy. And a lot of my family are they're just big people, strong people. And so I grew up thinking, man, I could never be like this part of my family. And so I would start trying to get healthy and then quit, start and then quit, start and quit. And after that stint, I realized the goal is not strength at all. The goal is health. And so for the past few years, I've been able to push through and stay as con- and stay consistent, taking care of my physical health because my why changed. It's not about strength anymore. It's about health and longevity. We've got three kids. Um, we've been married 17 years. I want to be around for a while. And to the, so to the best of my ability, um, I, I've started working out. But what's kept me working out is my why changed. So if we can focus on healthy frameworks, skills, and mission or, or meaning, that works to foster um the process of what we think of in terms of uh, well-being and self-care. And I can, I can go into some of that some more. Um, if that, you want me to keep going? Yeah, that'd be great. Great. If you don't mind. All right. So a couple um, um, in, in Philippians, and I think this is really important because anytime you talk about things like self-care and basic influencers, leaders tend to check out on you because they think I'm past that. But in Philippians, Paul actually, when he writes to the church, he says, I'm writing to every believer and to leaders and deacons. In other words, I, I think Paul's actually pointing out that nobody's above what he's about to communicate. And I think as leaders realizing that it's the foundational things that we do that promote well-being and holistic and, and self-care that actually keep our ministry alive. It keeps us um it it creates a sustainable ministry, helps us be um, efficient and effective in what we do. Um, At least on our end, we obviously, we believe that ultimately all of it's powered by the Holy spirit. And so ultimately I think when, when you, when you start to make some of these shifts, it's about creating sustainable rhythms and knowing that no matter how basic it's, it's like, um, it's like a gardener who says, I don't want to pay attention to the monotony of the soil anymore. I'm done with that. I just want the fruit. And so they walk off. No gardener ever does that, right? But we tend to do that with our own soul, with our body. We just sort of walk off and expect the fruit from it. So again, I think as leaders just hearing, we have got to create the rhythm of gardening and stewarding our personhood. And so again, framework, skills, and mission really help with that. So one of the frameworks that we talk about comes out of positive psychology and it's, it's the PERMA model, P E R M A H, um, where PERMA is positive emotion. You're, you're working to foster things like gratitude. There's so much to say about gratitude, but I don't think we have time. If we do, we'll come back to it, but, um, fostering positive emotion E is engagement where you, um, are so engaged in something in the moment that you just lose yourself in it. You lose track of time. We, we have to have that level of engagement for well-being. I, I try to, whenever I'm in my sessions with people, or I'm working with organizations or I'm teaching, I try to get into that level of engagement so that the seconds just aren't ticking by. I'm, I'm involved. I'm there. I'm, I'm present. 
Um, the R's relationships. We have to have healthy relationships for well-being, healthy attachments, healthy boundaries, support. M is meaning. We have to have meaning. Um, if we don't have a sense of why, if we don't have a sense of meaning, you know, in our culture, you ask people what they want out of life. And a lot of times they say happiness. And to a degree, we've accepted that in the church, but happiness is a terrible life goal. Uh, and I'm not anti-joy. I'm, I want people to be happy. In fact, I think joy is a central part of the gospel. But if you notice, it never starts with joy. It always starts with something meaningful. Abide in me and I in you. That's the meaningful work that we do. Then our joy is made full, is complete. So when you pursue something that's meaningful, you, you end up experiencing all these other healthy aspects of life. Um, a is accomplishment, achievement. Being sure that you're celebrating your wins is unbelievably important. And so it doesn't have to be the big wins. It's just celebrating the daily wins. And then H is health, uh, taking care of your health. And so that model of PERMA is a framework that helps us know how to think so that as we learn skills, we're able to integrate the framework of well-being and the skills of well-being um, into one sort of way forward to foster that. And then um, in the process of self-care, you know, self-care has a lot of different aspects. Um, spiritual self-care, which is like the spiritual disciplines, its meaning and mission, its core values, um, and all of that moves us towards our relationship with God, a deeper revelation of Jesus and who he is in our life, and to be consistently filled with the Holy Spirit um, on, a, on a daily basis, to have the, 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 the Spirit empower everything that we do. In fact, you know, the scriptures say that, uh, talk about themselves, the scriptures say we the, equip for every good work. But equipping is very different from empowering. Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, you receive power. And so it's not just the head knowledge that we need. That equips us. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so spiritual self-care is being sure that we're positioning ourselves to receive, not performing to earn. It's really, really important distinction. Um, so there's the spiritual self-care. And then obviously physical self-care, nutrition, exercise, sleep, um, psychological self-care. Um, and the psychological aspect is, has three kind of key components, pleasure, which is doing things that you enjoy. That's really important for self-care, psychological self-care, emotional health, uh, where that's fostering positive emotions and emotional intelligence, emotionally intelligent behavior, and then mastery and mastery is being able to overcome obstacles, having a sense that like I, when I do something, it impacts the world around me. Otherwise we end up with a mentality that life just happens and that starts to breed a sense of helplessness and ultimately a sense of hopelessness. Um, and that can actually lead to burnout. So you've got spiritual, physical, psychological, and obviously like relational self-care, financial self-care, vocational self-care, intellectual self-care. That would be having a sense of awe, like uh, just a, a sense of wonder what in the unknown and learning and growing and sexual self-care. That gets left out a lot. Um, so all of these areas, we'll have conversations with people and we'll, we'll establish the why, give healthy frameworks, which I just gave you a framework called PERMA for well-being. And then this framework for holistic self-care has all of these different areas. And then we work to build the skills that we need to um, 
continue to foster the areas where people are strong, but also uh, strengthen the areas where they tend to struggle. Even through all that, it sounds like just the ripple effect. As we start to work on those, it just ripples through ourselves and into our ministry and our lives. Absolutely. In fact, the opposite is true too. Um, when we don't take care of itself ourselves, it leaks out into the people we serve. Wow. We can end up doing so much damage to people because we aren't prioritizing self-care. We aren't stewarding and shepherding our own souls. It, it will have an effect on the people around us. And um, so, I, yeah, I, it, this isn't just, you're, you're exactly right, Luke. This, this spills out into every area of like how we interact with our spouses, our kids, how we interact with our family, uh, the people who are in our churches, the people who we serve as missionaries. The people, it, Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I'm so glad you even mentioned that it goes both ways. Uh, everything's going to flow out from us, and that's such a good reminder. And I think sometimes people clock out from the ministry when they go home, but it still carries all that emotional, relational, and psychological and spiritual. Uh, and so thank you for pointing that out. That, that is huge. Uh, absolutely. So when, but here's the deal. When you focus on health and self-care, um, the water coming out of your well is going to be clean. And the people drinking from it aren't going to get sick. <laughs> and it's going to, healthy people foster healthy people. And so it's just so important. Amen. And with that, as you've been working with ministry leaders, what are some challenges that they face? Uh, because for some, I believe th this is an entirely new way of thinking. Yeah. Um, I, I believe I mentioned this before, but accepting that self-care stewardship is tough. Um, because it feels selfish. Uh, one of the best ways that I've heard, you know, boundaries are so important is Michael Hyatt. Michael Hyatt talks about setting boundaries. He'll tell people, if I say yes to you now, I have to say no to a previous commitment. So I'm going to have to say no. And he'll do that even if he's got time carved out for reading and self-care. So he treats himself like he would treat everybody else. He, he carves that time out. And I, I, I love that. But so it's one, it's seeing self-care. It is not selfishness. Selfishness is real. But in the context of this conversation, it has nothing to do with self-care. Self-care is stewardship. Self-care is shepherding. And I really think self-care is worship. When we take care of ourselves, we... It's an act of worship. It's stewarding what God's given us until he gives us new bodies and we see them face to face. Uh, but I think it's, it's hard sometimes getting past that misconception that self-care is selfishness. Um, I also think, I think our effort becomes an idol. Um, let me say that again. And just, I think our effort often can become an idol. It's like, it's like we believe that we've got to like, we have to go, 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 or the ministry is not going to get done. The people aren't going to meet Jesus. And it's as if our effort is more powerful than the work of the Spirit in people's lives and the passion that God has for His kingdom to call other people to partner in the work. 
And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think sometimes insecurity, there's, um, or pride, or there's a lot of different reasons. But I, I think realizing that we are, in fact, we're, in fact, commanded to rest. Um, and we don't want Sabbath to be compartmentalized. It's, there's got to be a rhythm of Sabbath. Um, and so, you know, taking care, stewarding what God's given us and not elevating our effort or our ability to an idle status. And then um, I think for some church cultures, acknowledging that we need to take care of ourselves feels like weakness. Like we have to model the, you know, the, the army of God and we're, we're marching. We've, we've, we've got to do this and there's no time for rest. I'll rest when I'm dead. And it's like, man, this, this is not weakness. In fact, I think recognizing this is recognizing that we need self-care is a strength. And it certainly fosters it. It, it fosters humility, the kind of humility that we, we need in ministry. Um, you know, in psychology, we define humility as three things. Having an appropriate view of yourself, not too high nor too low. Teachability and consideration of others. And I think the, in, the inherently the acceptance of self-care promotes qualities that, that foster authentic leadership like humility. And so um, I, I think self-care is a strength. And kind of piggybacking off of what you were saying about like churches, have you found in some areas where there's guilt in people for feeling burned out? Like, like that taboo feeling of, oh man, I've failed because I can't do this on my own. Um, I think so. Yeah. Um, especially at times when pastors, again, kind of, they accept the undue burden that they've got to model this, right? That my effort, um, is my effort is more important than my rest. Those aren't, those don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can actually support each other. But I am, um, what's definitely true, obviously, I'm not minimizing that church leaders, we obviously need to model faith well. It doesn't mean that we avoid things like vulnerability and accountability and self-care in that process. Um, and I think too, in addition to guilt, when you think about guilt, guilt is the psychological state of feeling like I have done something wrong. I think shame also motivates neglect of self-care. Um, when leaders are motivated, shame is when you, it, it's that in, ingrained belief that I am wrong. I am bad. And theologically, that's, you know, apart from Christ, okay. But in Christ, we are new creations. And if we continue to see ourselves before Christ, not the way God sees us in Christ Jesus, we're actually sabotaging our mission and we're hanging on to, to shame. So a lot of times what happens is people will not take care of themselves. And this isn't necessarily conscious, by the way, but they won't take care of themselves as a way to punish themselves. Um, so if leaders are motivated to lead by like insecurities, they're going to burn out and it, it, it can perpetuate that sense that I am bad. I am, I'm terrible. So yes, I think guilt and shame um, can certainly be present in that process of burnout. And with that as well, as you find yourself helping people work through their own burnout, how do you find yourself personally avoiding burnout as you're helping others avoid burnout? Oh, I, I, I try to practice what I preach. 
And it's as simple as that. Like, um, I, I work out with a, a good friend, uh, two, two good buddies actually, uh, worked out this morning. Um, and he's a former Marine, former CrossFit guy. Uh, they, he and his wife trained for, um, like Spartan races and stuff. And I, I, I pick, I, I think his goal is to, um, kill me every time I show up, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but so we are like, I'm, I'm taking care of my, my body psychologically. I'm, I'm doing what we can do emotionally. In fact, my wife and I are leaving for a trip tomorrow. Um, we've been pushing pretty hard, um, this year and, uh, I turned 40 this summer, which I'm Ooh, in a lot of ways. I, I feel like I've, thank you. I've, in a lot of ways, I feel like I've arrived as a man. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, <laughs> I've been laughing with a few people about. I don't really know what that means. Um, I hope nobody takes offense to that. But it's it's uh, <laughs> it's it's like hey, I, I I need to be stewarding. So my wife and I are leaving for a trip, and we're going to meet some friends. It's going to be pretty great. And we're I'm not even taking my computer with me. We're checking out for ten days, and we're going to use it as as time to look towards our the rest of the year and towards 2020 but just rest and where we're going it's just gonna be great um and then spiritually like man just treating the scriptures and prayer like meals um and learning that that prayer is not just about us talking but about us learning how to hear and discern god's voice in our life and uh man it's just it's a game changer um, yeah. So, uh, apologizing to people when I need, yeah, you know, just none of this is easy and I certainly don't get it right all the time, but trying to turn what I know in my head to allow that to move into my heart as revelation. And then to see that move out into my hands and my feet and through my mouth and how I, you know, it's just every day trying to practice what I preach. Taking responsibility. That's it. I would say the core, the core character strength that we all need to develop is that of responsibility. And we, we think about that as taking ownership for everything in our sphere of influence. And, um, it's just owning, it's just owning it. Wow. My mind was blown on, on just owning and taking responsibility. Yeah. I'm definitely going to need to marinate on that more. (laughs) I, I think for a lot of people listening, they've heard or probably had their mind blown with symptoms that they didn't realize, which were characterized with burnout. Uh, and now that they know what to do to better handle it, uh, with, with the light at the end of this tunnel of this conversation, what changes have you seen in people you've helped re- recover from burnout? Oh man. I, I think the change is holistic. They get healthier physically. They feel better. They're healthier psychologically, emotionally. They just, there's a sense of a greater sense of peace and the ability to handle stress more effectively. Relationships are much better. They're not wounding people in the process of ministry. And if they do, they apologize spiritually. They there's, there's a, 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 there's life there again. You know, Jesus says, I I came to give life and give it abundantly. And we think that that's um, when I see him face to face, but he meant now. And I think there's, you, you start to experience that. Uh, the fullness of what Jesus was talking about in that process. And I, so that, that's a general statement. But one thing I've really also noticed is this. So basically the whole of life just gets healthier. People function better. 
But I think wisdom characterizes people who practice self-care. Insight, judgment, good judgment, like just this deep wisdom because they're not being organized by the chaos or their own insecurities or fear. Those things aren't dry. They may still experience them. I'm not saying that we don't. I think insecurities are there in every new season of life and every new season of ministry. But so it's not that those things are totally absent. It's that they aren't being organized or driven by them anymore. Rather, I think they're organized by God's kingdom, his voice, judgment, insight, and, and, and health. It just gives a different level of clarity. And with the level of clarity, kind of going back with growing up in the church and then you transitioning to psychology, uh, and now by God's grace, you get to intertwine both. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway from the psychology world that you wish the church would use more as a whole? That we're whole people. Um, different for all of the strengths that our different denominations and faith backgrounds have. Um, we tend to do what everybody else does, and that's compartmentalize the ideology of what we see. In other words, where things get their start. And so um, my culture uh, can tend to spiritualize things and underemphasize the body, the soul, and relationship. Um, and, and I think different, different denominations can underemphasize the spiritual aspect of things. So I, I think realizing that we are bio-psycho-socio-spiritual people, a body and that impact. Like I've heard people who are struggling um, with depression, for example, say, God, you know, we need to deal with that spirit of heaviness. And uh, it turns out that it was a, a hypothyroid issue. They had hypothyroidism. And it's like, man, if you're telling somebody it's a spirit of heaviness and they're doing everything they can to position themselves and they still don't get a breakthrough, it was actually physical healing we needed to be praying for. And not that you have to know all that, you just got to know how to ask the right questions. And so I think seeing like that we approach people as, as, as whole people um, is, and then that we, that we, we, from a cycle, not just a spiritual perspective, but from a psychological perspective, continue to move towards health as the priority. Um, and so in the same way that Jesus talks about the principle of what you seek first organizes the rest of your life in regards to the kingdom, that principle moves into every, it would be, it's amazing when, when people see, yes, we're going to pay attention to the struggle. We're not going to ignore the struggle. Denial is not spiritual. You can't give to God what you deny is there. We don't want to deny, but we deal with struggle within the context of the primary focus of health, of self-care, of stewarding what God has given us to the best of our ability. And I, I think that's what the, the whole people and a focus on health. And with all of your advice of us realizing and challenging us to be whole, I always take the idea of us listening to podcasts who continually are looking to grow and another area is with that is books. I was wondering if you had any recommendations reading wise that you would like to point us to, to continue this diving in. Yes. Um, there's a couple books I'd, I'd recommend to you to get started. You know, earlier I mentioned that framework is really, really important. 
um, so knowing how to think is so let me give you a couple books let me give you a couple topics to research so uh, the first one's reaching out by henry nowen um it's h-e-n-r-i-n-o-u-w-e-n probably Henri, but i'm grew up in mississippi so i, I butcher everything that doesn't <laughs> involve a southern accent i first read it in graduate school and i just go back and i reread it um, because it had a profound impact on me because in order to reach out to other people, we've got to understand what it means to reach in profound impact on me. I highly recommend that book. The second one is a devotional called in our lives first by Dr. Diane Langberg. She's a clinical psychologist had 40 plus years of working with trauma. Um, she's got some amazing resources, but that devotional really challenges us to start by looking at ourselves before we start looking at our ministry. And so I think a, a really, really great, great devotional to get. The two topics I would recommend, one is the topic of positive psychology. And um, you can go to uh, University of Pennsylvania's website. It's called AuthenticHappiness.com or .org. I don't remember and get a ton of good research on positive psychology. I, I think positive psychology in service to the church is, is, in my opinion, what I would call the next wave of science in service to the church. So positive psychology, Dr. Martin Seligman, and there are resources. They're amazing. Uh, worth checking out. Research articles and things kind of point you in the right direction. And then one specific topic within positive psychology is called appreciative inquiry. It helps us focus on what we have, helps us um, re recognize our available resources in overcoming different struggles. And uh, that's a part of gratitude. Actually, gratitude is having a, an appreciation and joy for the gift and the giver. But gratitude also fosters an awareness of our available resources. And so if you hit self-care struggles, and you're like, well, I don't have the resources. I don't have, I work with a lot of missionaries who'll say, well, I don't have the resources for that. I don't have a pool and I have joint issues or so taking a step back and going, what do I have? What are my resources? And that's what appreciative inquiry does. So uh, reaching out by Henry Nowen in our lives first by uh, Diane Langberg, uh, positive psychology, appreciative inquiry. And then I mentioned this, but we, we've created a video series and with a workbook. It's a 16 module um, called Rhythms, that's also meant to help um, people at a really practical level implement uh, self-care in, in these major areas. So good question. Thanks for asking. I love it. And kind of with that, I'm going to tag this into the conclusion of our conversation. So the platform is yours to kind of leave with the listeners what you'd like them to hear. Man, I, what I would suggest is take a step back and, and Take an honest inventory of your life. You know, I don't, I don't think we went over many symptoms, but physically, if there's headaches, exhaustion, high blood pressure, psychologically, if there's maybe depression or you're, you can't think straight or you're struggling there or um, spiritually, whatever. If, you, if, you're, if you're noticing issues, take a step back and take an honest inventory, but do it within the context of what, is it, what does it mean for me to really move towards well-being and health, and then how does that impact my ministry? First and foremost, to my family, then to my church. 
And uh, I, I think as we do that, it, 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 it changes us. It changes us. So I would encourage you. It comes back, I think, to the, to the responsibility. Taking ownership for that and uh, doing what we can to move towards it in sustainable ways. So amazing. Uh, Andy, I want to thank you again so much for stopping by. Uh, I always say it's like a buffet of knowledge. I, I so appreciate you taking the time to share the bits and pieces to help us help ourselves so we can help the church. And those books and topics are to go home bag. Uh, so I hope everyone was able to get stuffed with the advice and the lessons learned here. And Andy, again, thank you for going through all of your education and training so that you were able to bestow it all on us. I so appreciate it. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. I love doing this stuff, man. Thank you again. Wow. And that concludes the first episode of the Church Relevance Podcast. I want to thank you for listening, and I pray that you not only took away a to-go bag of lessons, but that you leave encouraged knowing, one, you're not alone, and two, your brothers and sisters at Church Relevance and all over the world will be praying for you.